Thank you for joining me today. Today we want to continue our travel series. And today we're going to visit a special location known by almost everyone who reads Bible stories. Matter of fact, if you listen closely, you'll even hear some great sound effects as F-15s and F-16s of Israel fly and do their touch and goes right there in the Valley of Megiddo. The lesson's important because it's about the faithfulness of a prophet of God. It's about hard times. It's about God's faithfulness as he keeps his promise. It's important for us to study these Bible characters, their stories, and to see the place they took place because I think it will encourage us as we live in these last days. Join me now as we go to Mount Carmel and the prophet Elijah. Well, let me tell you this. No one gets here by accident. <laughs> okay? And... Uh, but the valley that we're looking at, you know it by now. We've looked at it from three different perspectives. And remember, we talked already about how many stories there were. And remember, and here come the sound effects. Here, here are the jets. And as you look, you, you'll see the, the V-shaped airport. And it's the main military here. airport. And so we, they may come and put on a little demonstration for us. I, I hope so. But it's, it's fantastic. And, uh, and so that only points to the future. But, but this was um, an incredible sight of a, of a story that we know well. And, and when you come here, you can appreciate it. And remember, there came a time when uh, God was displeased with Israel. And, um, and he decided that he would close off the rain. And so it was the job of uh, Elisha to go in and tell Ahab uh, that there was going to be no rain. Can you imagine when Elijah went to make an appointment to see Ahab? And I can see Ahab's secretary saying, do you have an appointment with him, sir? And he said, no, but I'll, he'll see me. And I can see as she goes in to say, sir, there's someone who's assisted on seeing you. And before she can introduce him, he busts in. You could pick him out because he always wore strange clothes. And he goes in and he says, um, it's not going to rain. <laughs> It's not going to rain for, for this long a, a time. And can't you see Ahab saying, uh, what does the prophet know? And no doubt he went and checked the, the television weather station for a couple weeks. And every day it was the same thing. No chance of rain, no chance of rain. And after several years, remember, they became so desperate. And that's when uh, the story really is incredible. Because uh, Ahab had a servant. His name was Obadiah. He was a secret agent. He was a closet Christian. How could you work for Ahab and, and he, yet he'd say, I'm, I'm devoted to God? Well, Elijah didn't have that compromise. He was 100% devoted to God. And remember, there came a time when uh, Elijah appeared to Obadiah and said, Hey, uh, I want to talk to your boss. I'm, I'm going to tell him the, the, the reason for there's no rain. And uh, remember, he said, I, I don't want to leave you because if Ahab knows that I left you, He'll kill me. He's threatened every country. If you know where Elijah is, I want him because I want rain. And Elijah promised, no, I'll be right here. And sure enough, Ahab comes. And when Ahab comes, he, he blames the drought on Elijah. It says, it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he who troubles Israel? And Elijah said, no, it's not me, it's you. Your, your unbelief in God, you're, you're bringing the children of Israel into, uh, to, to worship the, with the prophets of Baal. Uh, he said, it's you, not me. And so then, uh, they make quite a scene because it's okay, let's have a showdown. 
And, and here's Elijah all alone. And Ahab has a total of, of 450 prophets of Baal and 400 other prophets who ate at Jezebel's table. And so they march up this mountain. Can't you see them making the... They didn't have a bus. And I think if you were up here and you'd watch them, you'd say, wow, those prophets are impressive. I bet they were all dressed alike. I bet they were humming in perfect harmony. They came up here. And, uh, and then you see someone walking all by himself. Elijah. Don't feel sorry for Elijah because he is a prophet of God. He has a power of God behind him. And so they get up here and they, they do this showdown. Here's what Elijah says. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And so they had a showdown. And uh, Baal, the, the sun god, and, and Elijah says, You guys go first. They make an altar. They, they, they put the stones. They, they put the sacrifice. They cry to God, their God, to bring a fire, and there's no fire. And then Elijah kind of provokes him. He says, call a little louder because maybe he's hard of hearing. Or literally, he says, maybe he's on vacation. And then I think he chuckles. He says, maybe he's in the potty. Exactly. <laughs> he really does. He says, call. He might be, he might be taking a break. <laughs> and I mean, after all this. And then the prophets, about, they begin to cut themselves saying, look, if you're not going to answer us, you know, we're going we're to cut ourselves. We're, we're going to commit suicide. We're going to die. And when they're done, then here's Elijah. He doesn't use their altar. There's no sense for God to use anything that's, that's so against God. He builds his own altar. And then he makes a strange request and lots of, lots of comments about it. But, but he says, okay, he said built, he built the altar with stones. Then he says, okay, go fill the buckets with water and dump them on the altar. Can you imagine all the people there so thirsty? Now, some say that he went to the Mediterranean to get salt water. I, I don't know. No, no, no. But probably the springs right here. And so here's this fresh water that was so precious. And he dumps it on the altar. And then he says, all right, four more buckets. Four more loads. And they, they get, and then he says, okay, I need four more. And they fill the trough with water. And then Elijah, I mean, you see, he's trying to stack everything he can. He wants it so that, that if God answers him, there's no doubt he's a prophet of God and God is real. came to pass that Elijah came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel, that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. They said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. They took them, and Elijah brought them down to the book Kishon, and slew them there. And, and you know the, the story as well. Wow. What a, what a major victory for, for God and for, for us to know that no matter how the odds are stacked against you, the power of God is greater than any of the odds that we have stacked against us. I really enjoy traveling to Israel, into Jordan, into Egypt, the lands of the Bible. It's so much to be learned as we actually put our foot on the same ground that the stories of the Bible take place. 
And as you looked at Mount Carmel, I'm sure you, you see that that was an important showdown. Important showdown in the life of Elijah, in the story of Israel, and their return to God. But you know what? It's going to be a very important story in the future as well. Because there's going to be another showdown, an even bigger showdown, as all the world comes against Israel. And the final battle, the battle in which Jesus Christ will defeat the Antichrist, takes place right there in that battle. You know, in the last several months, I've had a number of people talk to me about end times. And sometimes they say, it's so hard to be a Christian in the last days. And I've thought about that. And I believe as we look at the Bible, we have some great examples in this story of Mount Carmel, and Elijah is one of them. Think about faithfulness. Think about, about Elijah, the stand that he took. But the truth is, Elijah thought he was all alone. And, and I like what it says in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, because as he's there thinking that he's all alone, what's revealed is that there's 7,000 others in Israel who also didn't bow the knee to Baal. You see, you might feel like you're all alone, but believe me, around the world, even around this country, and probably in your own city, there are other people that are also being a witness for Jesus Christ. Is it hard to live for Christ in the last days? It is. But you know what? That's part of the plan of God. That plan of God, I think, is to refine us and, and perhaps to make it so that we'll be a bright light in a dark environment. I think it's also a way in which Jesus Christ will give us rewards in a coming day when we see him face to face. Elijah is not the only one that had hard times and was faithful to God. Think about Noah. Wow, the, the story of Noah is, is one of my favorites. And again, it's known so well. But in Genesis chapter 6, here's what it says. It says that, that in chapter 6, verse 22, as it speaks of Noah, it says this, that, that Noah obeyed the Lord. And that's really the aspect of, of the, these stories that I think is important in the last days, to obey the Lord. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And again in chapter 5, Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. That's what you call a, a faithful follower. And that's what I'd like to be said of us who live in these last days. Is it hard? The, the question is not, is it hard? The question is this, are we being faithful? And in Noah's case, it was only him and his family. But think about this. Think about the fact that, that he had dozens of nieces and nephews. He had dozens of aunts and uncles. He had hundreds of neighbors. And it was only Noah. And when judgment came, Noah was the one that was rewarded. You know what? Judgment will come. The future judgments of the Bible are just as sure as the past judgments of the Bible but God is so gracious. He, he warns us concerning these things. And so, yes, sometimes it's hard to live faithfully for God and to obey Him. And in these last days, you know what? It means that we do need to take a stand. We do need to have our eyes set on Jesus Christ. Believe me, He will reward us for faithfully standing for Him. How about the character of Daniel? Again, it's one of the famous stories of the Bible. And, and in Daniel chapter 6, we, we have recorded this great story of, of Daniel and his faithfulness. And I like what it says in Daniel chapter 10, or Daniel chapter 6 and, and verse 10. It talks about the fact that, that people trying to, to actually make it tough on Daniel enacted a law, and this law was going to be such that, that Daniel would be caught. 
Daniel would be caught because they knew that Daniel wasn't about to change how, how he behaved. And so here's, here's the prophet Daniel. And listen as, as we read exactly what the Bible says concerning Daniel. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he knelt upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. His habits didn't change. His faithfulness to God was, was so committed. You know what? He knew the writing was signed. He knew the odds were stacked against him. He knew that people didn't like him for his, his stand. He was faithful to God. You see, God was bigger to him than all of his critics. He lived in a, a foreign, hostile environment. The government was against him and what he believed. And Daniel was faithful. And you know what? When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, I don't think any of us would have said, I'd like to be there. But when Daniel was delivered by God out of the lion's den, who of us would not want to be Daniel? I, I would be. And the heathen king says, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually, don't you like that, continually able to deliver thee from the lions? The answer is yes, he did. Or just a chapter or two before, we have Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And hard times came. The government was opposed to, to what they believed. Matter of fact, the government imposed such sanctions and said, if you don't bow down, we're going to throw you in a furnace. And what's their answer? They said, you know what? We're not going to bow. We're going to be true to our God. And if our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he delivers us out of that hand, well. But if not, be it known that we still will not serve your gods. Resolve. Commitment. You see, I think sometimes we say it's going to be tough to live in the last days, and it is. But that doesn't excuse us from not living that way. I, I want to go to another character in the Old Testament, and then maybe one in the New. But the book of Nehemiah. Wow, what, what a story that is. Because in the book of Nehemiah, it's a story that, that I've just been reading this, this past week. And, and here's Nehemiah in chapter 6. And remember, he starts on a, a work of God. It wasn't a popular work of God. Most people decided to stay in Babylon. You see, today, it may not be popular to say that we're living in the last days. It may not be popular to say that we need to, to buck society. We don't have to give in to, to the idea of abortion or, or to, to the, the homosexual society or to the drag queens. We, we don't have to, to give in to the things that say that the Word of God may not be the total inspired Word of God. Because God will reward us. And so here's Nehemiah. Nehemiah was called to do a task. It was to build a wall. It was a difficult, maybe you could even say an impossible job, but Nehemiah was faithful to it. And as he began to do this, it's interesting because they came and they actually warned him and said, you ought to stop this. This is ridiculous. You might even bring disgrace to God. And here's what Nehemiah said. They thought to do me mischief. Isn't that something? What discernment. And then the next verse, they lied about him. And then they begin to spread rumors, and he says this. He said, there's no such thing done as you say, but you've invented these in your own heart. He told untrue stories about him, trying to get the work of God to stop. And you know what? Nehemiah resolved himself to do the work that God had called him to do. You see, maybe God has called you to, to raise a family. Maybe God has called you to be faithful to him on a university campus or at work or in your neighborhood. Or maybe just in your local church. 
yeah, living in the last days might be hard, but God will reward those who stand for him. And what a reward Nehemiah had. The early church, they, they, were, they were not immune from difficult times. Listen to this in, in the book of Acts chapter 4. Again, this is a passage I read just from my own personal devotions this past weekend, and I was so encouraged. Because in, in Acts chapter 4, it says, when, when they were beaten, they were put in prison because they were preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, now look, we warned you that we were going to put you in prison if you continue this. And they said, well, we're, we're going to continue doing that. He said, for we can not but speak the things which you have seen and heard. And so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. And because of the people were with him, all men glorified God for what was done through them. A few verses later in verse 29, it says this. They prayed, Behold their threatenings, Lord. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. Notice this. They didn't pray for protection. They prayed for boldness. That's my prayer. You see, we're living in the last days. And I understand that some who are unsaved, they're going to say, well, you're doomsday people. But isn't it amazing some who even profess the name of Christ? They may give us a hard time. The Apostle Peter talked about it. He said that people say, people have been saying this a long time. Do you still believe the, the lie? But First Peter chapter 4 says this as well. Happy are you if you're, if you're reproached for the name of Jesus. He even says in one of his verses in the epistle of Peter, rejoice, be partakers of Christ's sufferings. You're, you're called to do this. You have the privilege to do this. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29, the apostle Paul says this, on behalf of Christ, you're, you're called and chosen to suffer for him. And so here's my question today. Are you ready if Christ comes? Yes. Hard times may come as we wait for the Lord's return. But that doesn't lessen the privilege and the responsibility to live for him. You see, I believe that God says judgment will come. And I believe that God has always been faithful to warn about judgment. But God has also been faithful to carry out judgment that he spoke of. And sometimes as men, if the judgment waits five years or ten years, matter of fact, one king in Israel, 15 years he waited for the judgment of God to come. But God was faithful and judgment came. Babylon waited 70 years and God was faithful and judgment came. Noah's time frame, they waited 120 years and God was faithful and judgment came. And my friend, God has said that judgment will come. We cannot continue to, to live the way we are. And so I ask, are you ready? You see, how can you be ready? Well, if you've never received Christ, then here's how it is. First of all, you admit that you're a sinner. You admit that before a holy God, a righteous God, that you've committed sins. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Every descendant of Adam is a sinner. And you must admit that you are a sinner and turn from that sin. Number two, you need to acknowledge that Jesus Christ had no sin. And so he went to the cross. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He rose again. And that was payment for my sin and for your sin. To acknowledge that Christ is the only payment for sin. The blood of bulls and goats, they could never take away sin. All they could do is point to Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who is the real sacrifice for sin. Would you admit you're a sinner? Would you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the one who paid the debt? And then the third thing is to accept. 
to personally accept the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross as payment for your sin. My friend, I think we're on the brink of Jesus coming. Even this last week, we had our president again say that we're headed toward a new world order. He did it with such delight. We're watching the world join together technologically in such a way that it fulfills ex exactly what the Bible said would be in the last days. My friend, Christ could come at any minute. Have you received him as your personal Savior? And if you have, live for him. We're living in the last days. Hard times may come, but the reward of Jesus Christ is worth it. Today, I invite you to live for Christ. And today, I invite you to receive Christ as your personal Savior. Are you ready? Do so now. Father, we come to you, and I thank you for the story of Mount Carmel. I thank you that there was a faithful prophet, Elijah, that stood for God against all the odds. And what he wanted to see was the people return to God. And Father, I pray that even today, those of us who know Christ might point to Christ, because I believe that the judgment of God is coming, just as the Bible says. But Father, how glad we are to be able to announce that the judgment for our sin fell on Christ at Calvary so that we could have salvation. Father, today, I pray there will be some who will come and accept Christ as their personal Savior. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.